This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here in this place this morning. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please sit. Almighty God, using the prophet Jeremiah as his mouthpiece here, promises that his law will be written on the hearts of his people. And it seems like God thinks that this is necessary because of what he says in the verse immediately preceding this promise. He says that this covenant will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant, he says, that they broke. It's almost as if he's saying, it's clearly not enough that I gave you commandments written on stone tablets, you know, commandments that you could read. So I'm going to write my law directly onto your hearts. Knowing the law apparently isn't enough. And the church has always known that we need something more profound than simple knowledge of right and wrong. So we pray regularly for God to be at work in our hearts. And in fact, today's collect of the day, the, the prayer that collects our prayers together from individuals to a congregation, this prayer assigned for the fifth Sunday of Lent is one of the all-time classic Anglican examples of this kind of prayer, a prayer for God to be at work in our hearts You can uh, turn back over in your leaflet to find the prayer. Almighty God, we pray, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise. That among the swift and varied changes of this world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. This prayer, written in the middle of the 16th century, describes humankind so perfectly that it is still in use today. Anglican churches all over the world are saying this prayer this morning. And I'm going to use it this morning to help us understand this reading from Jeremiah. Why God would promise to write his law on our hearts. Now, Thomas Cranmer, the author of this prayer, the the central reformer of the Church of England, makes a profound statement here between the interrelationship of the three main things that make up a person. Your heart, your mind... And your will. So that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. Not anything important, don't worry. Just your heart, 
your mind, and your will. And of course, the good news about Jesus Christ. But before we get to all that, I want to tell you a little bit about my story, my life story of weightlifting. I know you're all very interested. The uh, exploration class attendees are like, uh-oh, we just talked about this prayer, but I'm going to give you a little bit more, a little bit different course this morning. There was a time in my life where I was a basketball player until a few years ago, I'd get kids coming up to me and sort of craning their necks and saying, do you play basketball? Recently, it's been, did you used to play basketball? Which is crushing to me, um, but I've retired and I've come to terms with it. But there was a time in my life when a lot of what I did was designed to make me a better basketball player. And it was in this context that my saga of lifting weights began and ended and began and ended and began and ended again and again. Now, you'll have to peer back into the mists of history to believe this, but I used to be really skinny. During my junior year of college, when I was playing the best basketball of my life, I was six feet five and I weighed 185 pounds. I could take a deep breath and reach down and grab my ribs and pull them apart if I wanted to. Of course, I was also eating two foot-long subs for dinner every night, so perhaps my current look, uh, that is somebody who might have once been skinny, is well-deserved. Uh, but the point here, and you all should be laughing uproariously by this point, I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on here. Um, the point here is that every coach I ever had and every person I ever played with from about sixth grade through seminary told me that I should lift weights, get stronger. Imagine how much better you could be, they'd say, if you would just work out. Now, I hate working out. All the hates. I hate the smell. I hate the clothes. I hate how it makes me feel. I hate that the whole wall is a mirror. I just hate every single thing about it. But I wanted to be a better basketball player, so every three months or so, I would uh, print out some workout regimen that I found online and commit to going to the gym. And the hope, I guess, was that after a while, I'd get to like it. You know, something like an acquired taste. Fake it till you make it. And this is how we humans think that life works. This is how we imagine the relationship between the heart, the will, and the mind works. Your mind makes a decision. In my case, I want to be better at basketball, so I will work out. Then we apply our will to the problem. The path to accomplishing the thing that your mind has chosen isn't always easy, so you've got to invoke your willpower, right? If you want to be a doctor, you have to go to med school, a lawyer, law school. If you want to be good at basketball, or at least if you want to be strong, you have to lift weights. You hate it, but it's necessary, so you do it. And then the idea is your heart will come around eventually. One day, you hope, you'll find yourself loving the thing you used to hate, like Brussels sprouts, allegedly. So in a nutshell, we act as if the way things work is this. What the mind chooses, the will works for, and the heart well, the heart will catch up. That sounds normal, right? This is how we live. We might not 
put it in words like this, but this is how we operate. Except my heart never came around. A few days after printing it out, I'd throw the weightlifting plan in the trash and stop going to the gym over and over and over again. Every couple of months, my hatred for it was just too strong. It wasn't actually until several years of this when I found myself agreeing against all odds to wake up at five o'clock in the morning to go to the YMCA gym with two guys I barely knew that I had my breakthrough, my, my epiphany. Again, I did it for about a week, but then my eyes were opened. The scales fell off and I realized, I hate this. I never want to do this again. And I realized that my heart was never going to come around and so I quit. For good, I have not lifted an ounce since then. And Cranmer, writing our collect, writing our prayer for this morning, understood this. He understood my pain and the pain of everyone else whose heart never came around. And so when he prayed to God, when he writes a prayer for us to pray to God, he writes with a different set of assumptions. Listen to part of his prayer again. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise. Cranmer knew that our paradigm, our what the mind chooses, the will works for, and the heart will catch up. Cranmer knew that that was backwards. He says that only God can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. He asks God to give us the grace to love what he commands and desire what he promises. Isn't that fascinating? We don't pray, in Cranmer's words, to understand or to know what God commands. We pray to love it. We don't ask the Lord to reorient our minds. We ask him to change our hearts. Cranmer is asking God to keep his Jeremiah 31 promise and write his law on our hearts. Because Cranmer knows the biblical truth that it's not our actions that need to be replaced. It's our hearts. Knowing what's good, right, true, and holy is not enough. What we really need is a heart that is set on these things. And the reason that Cranmer has us pray this way for a reoriented heart is that he knows that our standard human paradigm is exactly backwards. We imagine, remember, that our mind freely makes a decision that we then apply our will to making it happen and hope that our hearts will catch up. If we decide to obey God's commands, honor your father and mother, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, give away all you have, and work hard at it, apply our willpower, the heart, we hope, the love, well, that might come later. But it doesn't. Just like with me and my workout, when you're working hard to follow commandments, but love isn't there, love doesn't 
come. Exhaustion comes. Resentment comes. The realities of human life reveal that our paradigm is exactly backwards. Love must come first. Here's the truth. What the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. That's how Ashley Knoll, perhaps the world's foremost Cranmer expert, summed up Cranmer's anthropology, his, his way of describing a human, a human being, how humans actually work, what the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. The mind is the last thing to get involved. What the heart desires, that thing the will chooses, and the mind makes an excuse for it later. We are all well acquainted with this. I had to follow my heart, we say. The heart wants what the heart wants, we shrug, acknowledging our powerlessness. Anyone who's ever been attracted to anyone who wasn't their spouse knows that this is true. The heart desires and the will chooses. Anyone who has ever promised themselves that they will never again eat a whole sleeve of Oreos at midnight knows that this is true. The heart desires and the will chooses. And then our minds justify, trying to make sense of the thing that our heart has led us into. We're not gluttonous. This is the last sleeve, and we swear we're not going to buy the 10-sleeve box at Costco the next time we're going to go. The mind justifies. We do whatever it is our heart desires, and then try to figure out a good excuse for our behavior. I was in love. I had to follow my heart. What the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. St. Paul provides the biblical evidence for the truth of this by describing every human being perfectly in Romans chapter 7. I do not understand what I do, he says. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Paul knows that his mind and his will are slaves to his heart. And when his heart isn't set on the right things, there's nothing he can do to stop himself. We find ourselves right there with him. We say things like, the heart wants what the heart wants. But Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And it's when you get into my heart, into my twisted desires, my selfish ambitions, my deep-seated sinful nature that things start getting really ugly. It's in my heart where you see that my problems with lifting weights are just the quaint, sermon-appropriate illustration of what we're talking about here. The real issue is lust, anger, envy, pride, idolatry, wanting to give myself the place of God. These are the things that we vow to quit again and again. 
and find ourselves returning to again and again. Like a dog, says the Proverbs, returning to its vomit. Jeremiah is completely right. Your heart and mine are deceitful above all things. Desperately sick. This is why Cranmer has us cry out to God for an intervention. Grant us grace to love what you command. Fix our hearts where true joys are to be found. After writing that section of Romans 7 about not doing the things he wants to do and constantly doing the things that he hates, Paul cries out for an intervention too. Knowing Jeremiah's words to be true, that our hearts are desperately sick, Paul cries out in agony, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from this body of death? This is the cry of every person who realizes that they are being led around by a deceitful, unwilling heart at the mercy of its sinful desires. All of a sudden, this seemingly academic idea that what the heart chooses, the will works for, and the mind justifies becomes a thing that changes everything. All of a sudden, it shows us how intractable our problem is, how serious we are, and how desperately we need a Savior. My grandfather had Parkinson's disease, and I always thought that it was the most horrifying disease in the world because it destroyed his body, but left his mind intact. Toward the end of his life, he came to a place where he couldn't move. He couldn't even blink on his own. But when he looked at you, when he stared at you, you could see his brain, his mind working overtime. He was alive, but his body was a body of death. And what a torture, I thought, to know what you want to do and not be able to do it. But this is a human torture. A torture we all find ourselves in. In fact, this is the human experience. We may all echo the despairing cry of St. Paul in Romans 7. Who will rescue me from this body of death? We need a Savior who will come to us while we're dead. A Savior who will come to us while we are doing the things we hate. While we are not doing the things we wish to be doing. We need a Savior who will come to us while we are sinners. Thanks be to God, we have just such a Savior. Cranmer ends his prayer by asking God to fix our hearts where true joys are to be found through Jesus Christ our Lord. When St. Paul says, who will rescue me from this body of death? He immediately says, thanks be to God who saves through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All of our sinful striving is seeking after joys that will inevitably fade. True joy is setting our hearts, or better, having our hearts set by God on the one who will rescue us. From this body of death, this Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous, 
in fact, knows our experience with the struggles to do the things that we know are good. As we read in our gospel reading from John, when push came to shove and the time was at hand, even Jesus admitted that his soul was troubled. And so he prayed. He prayed, I think. We don't know the exact words, but he prayed that he would love what his God commanded and that he would desire what his Father promised. And so he says, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. It is for this reason that Jesus came. The law was written on Jesus' heart, just like Jeremiah promised. Jesus loved what God commanded and desired what God promised. And because of his goodness and righteousness given to you, because your sinful and wicked heart was taken to the cross with him, and because the gift of the active Holy Spirit in your life, that love and desire indwells you too. God's law is written on your heart. God has promised, and God's promise is true. And a miracle happens. You do love what he commands. You do desire what he promises. Jeremiah's promise comes to full flower in Ezekiel when God actually promises us completely new hearts, ones that are oriented by their redeemed nature toward him. Now, we don't have to wait and hope for our hearts to come around in the end. Now, we can actually follow these new hearts secure in the knowledge that they are secure in the Lord. And so we are led by our new hearts, by our hearts that are a very gift from God into all righteousness, purity, forgiveness, charity, humility, submission. Thanks be to God who has done this for you and for me and for all who cry out for his mercy and love. Almighty God, who alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners, has done so for you. Almighty God, who can grant sinners grace to love what he commands and desire what he promises, has done so for you. And now, among the swift and varied changes of this world, he has surely fixed your heart where true joys are to be found through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with him and the Holy Spirit as one God, now and forever. Amen.